I know what it is to feel powerless. When I was a kid, I was the last one chosen in gym. I was the last one chosen for kickball. I couldn't catch a ball, throw a ball, kick a ball. I did not have sport ball ability. And so by the time I was in seventh grade, I was actually the target of bullies. Now, as a 52-year-old man, I know that bullied boys are themselves bullied by someone else. It's usually a father, an uncle, an older brother. But that year, seventh grade year, that was a, that was a hard year. There was one 12-year-old young man who carried around an empty uh, bottle of Joy dish soap. And he would fill it with water. And so he would come by my locker in between classes and try and soak my jeans. I hated him. I hated the way that he used his power over me to humiliate me. And, and I hated him fierce. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 52, Jesus says this, those who use the sword will die by the sword. Someone who has power over you, who uses that power to hurt you, humiliate you, use or control you, that, that use of power that way closes your heart and your spirit to them. Most of the time you hate them and you secretly wish they were dead. The kingdoms of this world all live by the sword. They all use power the same way. They use power over others. They exert it, they leverage it, they use it, they abuse it, and they do it so that they can win, so that they can be on top, so that they can be number one. They do it so that they can call the shots. And they believe they're right and everyone else is wrong. They believe they're good and everyone else is evil. All the kingdoms of the world use power this way, but not God, and certainly not God's kingdom. I want you to know today that when God flexes his muscle, when God uses his power, it looks like the cross. It looks like Calvary. Now, we sing a song about it. Show us, show us your glory. Show us, show us your power. Show us, show us your glory, Lord. Let me, let me just ask a simple question. What exactly as Americans, because I'm talking to Americans right now, what exactly as Americans are we asking God to do when we ask God to show us his power. I want to suggest to you that what we're not thinking, we're not thinking of the cross. We're not thinking of self-sacrifice. What we're thinking are American thoughts. We're thinking, hey God, show us your power. Do something 
big. Do something that's so over the top and so huge that everybody stands up and takes notice and goes, whoa, there's God. God's God and I'm not God. And, and by the way, God, while you're at it, convict a few people, cause a few of them to grovel because they sure need it. But God, show us your power. Move in a powerful way. And when we think those very American thoughts, we're thinking big, huge, noticeable, but we're not thinking of the cross. We're not thinking of the cross. Again, when God flexes his muscle, when God uses his power, it looks like the cross. It looks like Calvary. Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul championed this idea he says that God's strength is displayed in Paul's weakness. Now, Paul wasn't the best speaker. He, he wasn't a dynamo in front of a congregation or a synagogue. And several of Paul's letters are written from prison. He's actually displaying a different kind of power. One of those letters from prison is the letter of Philippians, what we call the book of Philippians in the New Testament. It's a thank you letter sent to Philippi Christians who had sent money to pay for Paul's expenses in prison and to send along a man named Epaphroditus so that Epaphroditus could encourage Paul while Paul was in prison. The crux of the letter is this poem located in Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 11. And I want to read this to you. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Now, Paul says, you should have the same attitude. You must have the same attitude of Christ Jesus. What exactly is an attitude? Is it a, is it a feeling? Is it an emotion? No, 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 no. No, an attitude is a settled way of thinking that is reflected in your consistent behavior. Let me say that again. An attitude is a settled way of thinking that is reflected in your consistent behavior. We're supposed to have the attitude of what? The attitude of a servant, the attitude of a slave. And it's exactly the attitude we see in Jesus Christ. In John chapter 13, the apostle John tells us what happened on the night that Jesus was betrayed. Jesus and his friends gathered in an upper room to celebrate a special meal. John chapter 13, verse 1. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. 
He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now, in this room, in this upper room, someone is missing. And you know who that someone is? It's the servant girl who was supposed to be at the door with the towel and basin. And sorry, ladies, but this was typically a girl or a young woman because the job was considered beneath the dignity of any man who had come of age, who was 13 years or older. And it was typically a slave or an indentured servant of the household. Every single disciple entered the room and noticed who was missing. Because in order to have dinner, in order to recline at table, feet had to be washed. It was an act of hospitality, yes, but it was also basic hygiene. Every single disciple passed by the basin and thought, not me, not me, I'm not doing it, not me. We know what these men were talking about during dinner, what was on their minds that night, because Luke records it. Luke chapter 22, verse 24. Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. So they're at dinner, and what's on their mind is who's going to be the vice president, who's going to be the secretary of state when Jesus finally ushers in this kingdom and where Jesus is king, and, and they're going to be up at the top, and don't they deserve it, and haven't they worked hard, and didn't they cast out things in Jesus' name? And they're arguing about who's number one and who's going to be number two. Jesus corrects this line of thinking. John chapter 13, verse 4. So Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Verse 12. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, the Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Jesus literally, and I mean the word the way it's supposed to be meant, Jesus literally and yes, metaphorically embodies the attitude of a servant, the attitude of a slave. In Luke chapter 22, verses 25, Jesus tells them that night, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they're called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who's more important? The one who sits at the table or the one who serves, the one who sits at the table, of course, but not here, for I am among you as one 
who serves. God wields his power by washing the feet of a man who will betray him, have him handed over and arrested, beaten, and then crucified. Jesus washes that man's feet, the feet of Judas Iscariot. Lee Camp in his book, Mere Discipleship, says, Jesus will not rule by a sword, but by a towel. And if, and if that isn't enough, later that same night, we're given a front row seat to the difference between the power of the sword and the power of the cross. John chapter 18, verse 10. Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? Put your sword away. Again, Matthew chapter 26. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. In that moment, in the garden, Jesus, the Son of God, he could have called down legions of angels. He had access to unlimited power. And what does Jesus actually do? Luke 22, but Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Jesus heals the ear of the man who came to arrest him. You know, I often wonder what happened to Malchus. I wonder what he told his family and friends. He was there the night the rabbi from Nazareth was arrested. He had his ear lopped off. He was maimed, and yet he was healed. I wonder what he thought of Jesus, the man who healed him. It had to make an impact on Malchus's life. So let me ask you a question. Has anyone sacrificially loved you? Has anyone sacrificially served you? What did they do for you? How did it impact you? And then, have you ever made sacrifices, real loving sacrifices for people outside your family? When God flexes his muscle, it looks like the cross. So if we're gonna imitate Jesus, if we're gonna follow Jesus is in this way of the cross, I have some very practical ways that you and I can do this. Here are some ways to take this home. First and foremost, lean into service. Lean into loving, sacrificial service and resist the urge to control. When our kids were really young, they swam for the Firebrook swim team. Now at that time, in the early 2000s when Firebrook was relatively new, there was this giant billboard outside the neighborhood. And this is what the billboard said, I'm not making it up. Estate living for those who can afford to choose. <laughs> so Jenny and I would drive up in our, in our Saturn, little Saturn car from our three bedroom ranch home in Nick, Nicholasville. <laughs> and our kids swam for the Firebrook swim team and when we showed up every parent every parent had to volunteer so we went to the coach we went to the parent coordinator and we simply asked this question 
what what are the jobs you can't get people to do? What are the jobs no one wants? And they said, oh, oh, that's easy. Here, nobody wants to take out the trash. So ding, okay, that, the Vanderpools will take out the trash. The Vanderpools are team trash. Oscar the Grouch, I love trash. <laughs> and so we, we took out the trash. The other thing that I did is that I drove John to the swim practices and there were circle tables. It was a beautiful pool deck. It's a beautiful neighborhood. And, and there were pastors of large prominent churches whose kids swam on this team and they would sit at the tables with some very well-connected people. But there was one table in the corner of the pool deck that everybody seemed to avoid. And, and at that table was the atheist who kind of hated God, but really just hated people. He was a curmudgeon. There was the divorcee who had cheated on her doctor husband who lived in the neighborhood, but got his house, and everybody kind of despised her. And then there was the gay couple, a couple of older guys whose son swam on the swim team. Nobody seemed to want to sit at that table. Well, guess where your pastor sat, right? That was my table. When we left the Firebrook swim team, they were, they hated to see us go. Why? Because we had served our way into their hearts. Lean into service. And by the way, if you're married, if you've got kids, especially if you've got adult children, you will never be able to control your husband or wife into loving you back. You will never be able to control your children into, into loving you back or having open hearts to you, but you might be able to serve, sacrificially serve your husband and wife in such a way that they love you. And you might be able to sacrificially love and serve your children, especially your adult children, in ways that cause them to open up their hearts to you. Not always, but sometimes. Secondly, quit seeing people as your enemies. Judas and Malchus intended to harm Jesus, but who was Jesus' real enemy? Satan. Satan. Even Judas and Malchus, rebelling as they were against God's rule, weren't beyond God's sacrificial love. Jesus loved Judas and Jesus loved Malchus. Now, I'm going to tell you right now that not everybody who receives sacrificial love opens up. Some people are going to reject God. Some people reject Jesus and some people will ultimately reject that kind of sacrificial love. But I'll tell you this, nobody is ever going to love someone who is wielding a sword over them. Third, in social settings, aim low. We have something on the walls of our church sanctuary, and it simply says, get your hands dirty. Do the jobs that other people avoid. Take out the trash. Sit at the nobody's table. Luke chapter 14, verse 7 and following, Jesus gives some very sage advice. When Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this, this advice. When you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? Then the host will come and say, 
give this person your seat. Then you will be embarrassed and you'll have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, oh, friend, we have a better place for you. And then you will be honored in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The kingdom of God advances not through the power of the sword, but through the power of the cross. When God flexes his muscle, when God uses his power, it looks like the cross. It looks like Jesus. Now, I understand full well that the cross is gory. The cross is shocking. And the cross is so horrific that for some, they have to look away but I, but I also believe that the cross is beautiful. That kind of self-sacrificial love is truly beautiful. Then Jesus said, do you understand what I've done to you? You address me as teacher and master, and rightly so. That's what I am. So if I, the master and teacher, washed your feet, you must now wash each other's feet. I've laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. I'm only pointing out the obvious. A servant is not ranked above his master. An employee doesn't give orders to the employer. If you understand what I'm telling you, act like it and live a blessed life. <laughs> 